You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out today and turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, we're going to continue in our Messy Church series. We uh, started out in this series talking about the fact that we are in it together in the church. We are a part of the body of Christ, and we're in this thing this messy church together. And then we studied uh, what is the church. It was his church, his way uh, for his glory. We understand that the church is fundamental to our faith. The church is God's idea. And this church work is messy work. If I wasn't in it, it might be a little less messy, but you're in it. So it is messy. And so as we live in it, it's a living organism. And so the church is God's idea, but it's a messy work Uh, But in the failures that happen in the church, it's not God's fault. Those become the things where we have failed. Maybe we haven't stepped up as we should. And um, today we want to talk about the church in the world as we seek to live out for the glory of God in a fallen, fallen world. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. And sometimes you hear people say something like this, like, we want to be a book of Acts kind of church. That's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a book of Acts kind of church. And, and there's good reason to say that. There's the reality of uh, how people's lives were changed. At Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. And the Holy Spirit comes. And you see God working. You see churches being planted. You understand that God's at work. And we see him deliver Paul out of prison. All kinds of things that happen. You're like, yeah, we want to be a church. That's the kind of church we want to be. That's the kind of church we want to be. And we just warn you to be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you ask for, because the uh, church in Acts was also a church that really struggled. Paul's life was filled with persecution. In Acts chapter four, Acts chapter fourteen, we see Paul gets stoned. So I said that last night, and the guys up in the booth almost fell off their chairs, thinking Paul got stoned. Not that kind of stoned. Okay, they picked up rocks and they tried to kill him. Um, I don't want to, is that the kind of church you want to be a part of? Um, in Acts chapter 16, Paul's in prison. In Acts chapter 17 that we're going to look at today, um, twice Paul's driven out of a city because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, we're going to take a look at the church of Thessalonica, the first part of that, but just think about what he went through. And so, you know, when you think about, we want to be a church like the church in the book of Acts. We do in the sense we want to see God growing us. We want to see God blessing us. We want to see God's Holy Spirit coming on us. But just understand that in the midst of all that comes the struggle and the challenges. God's word promises for us. We, we, we've lived in North America, most of us all of our lives, and we've had it so easy and so, so blessed to be in a Judeo-Christian ethic. And all of that is changing these days. And so we're a church in the, in the world, and we find the story we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 17. So let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read from his word. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 to kind of set the stage for our text today. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous 
And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to hold your word in our hands, to open it, to examine it, to hear what you had to say and how you said it through Paul. Father, what, what I have to say today is of little importance compared to what the word of God says. So as we look at it, I pray that we'd be faithful to the text and faithful what it says, and we would understand what it's going to look like to be a church in the world today. Father, would you give us ears to hear your word and minds to understand it, and, and not to fear, but to have comfort and hope because you go with us. You are helper to so hearts to passionately live out what you've called us to in Jesus Christ. Do your work in your way for your glory in your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats and let's dive right into the text. The first thing I want us to see is the church in the world on mission, on mission. Look at verse two. And Paul went, as was his custom on three Sabbath days, he, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. It says that uh, he went as was his custom. Now, there's a number of factors you can look into that. First of all, it was his custom to go to the synagogue. It was his custom to go and um, worship, but it was his custom. That's what he did. It's what he'd done all of his life. And after he got saved, he kept going to the synagogue, but now he was teaching. He was teaching another message, and it was certainly going to cause a challenge for them, and it was going to be a struggle. Now he was going, and he was talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He was talking about the implications. Now, that's what Paul was all about now. He wanted everyone to know the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who had saved him on the road to Damascus experience when he saw the light and Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He met the Lord on that day and he wanted everyone to know. And so it was ingrained in his life to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love the, side, the way it says this, as was his custom. He was passionate for lost people. He was passionate to get the word of God out there as far as he could, as quickly as he could, and he had a passion for it. It became his custom. Would anybody say that about you? Would anybody say that about me? Would your neighbors say, you know, that guy, he's, he's passionate for the Lord. It's his custom. Every time I talk to him, somehow as we go along, he gives thanks to the Lord or, or he brings up the Lord and what the Lord's done in his life. Or I remember the day he presented the gospel to me. I rejected it, but I remember the day he brought the gospel to me and as was his custom. It was as, as he breathed. Paul couldn't help but breathe out the Lord Jesus Christ as part of the story that he told. He said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Everything I do, he says, I, I want Christ to be built up. I want Christ to be going. And, and if I die, that's even better. Philippians 3, 12 to 14, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Jesus, would anyone say that about you? Would anyone? Your neighbor, your coworker, that family member who doesn't know the Lord. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It was his custom. It's just who he was. That was his mission. The second thing we want to see about the church in the world is the clear message. The clear message that he had. If, um, if the mission is to proclaim Christ, then the message, here's how he did it. Look at the end of verse 2 and into verse 3. It says, um, Paul went, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days, and he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. So the first thing it says is, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. That was the source of his message. His message was God's Word. All that he had, primarily at that point, he had the Old Testament. Might have had a little bit of teaching about Jesus, but, but primarily he was taking the Old Testament, he was opening it up, and he was reasoning with them, he was showing them Jesus Christ. Took the Word he took the word. Around here, our first pillar is proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. It's the center, centerpiece of our church is God's word. We open it up every week. We talk about it every week. We proclaim it every week. And he sought to encourage and help and explain with clarity and simplicity the word of God. Why? Because 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. It's all God-breathed and it's profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and training in righteousness. He took the Word of God and he reasoned with them from the Scriptures because the Scriptures were a foundation. As I said, the Scriptures are the foundation of our first pillar, proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. We're going to get to uh, the fall series. We're going to go back to um, We the Church. And in the fall, we're going to have a 10th anniversary service in the middle of all this. But um, out, of, out of the first service after Labor Day will be a message about the four pillars of our church. And then the next three messages I preach are going to be about the Bible. What is the Bible? Why is it so important? What is it critical about? And so the first thing we're going to take a look at in the first message is that God's Word is trustworthy. So if you doubt God's Word, you need to be here for that message. God's Word is trustworthy. The second message we'll look at is that God's Word is all about Jesus. All of it. From Genesis 1-1 right to the end of Revelation. All of it in some way is pointing towards Jesus Christ and towards our redemption. That's why Christ came. And so we'll take a look at the word, that the word is trustworthy. We'll take a look at the reality that the word of God is all about Jesus Christ. And then the last message will be that the word of God is sufficient. It's sufficient. It's all that we need. We don't need anything else. We don't need a hierarchy of, 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 of church structure. We don't need a pope. We don't need a, we need to take God's word because it is sufficient for us. Paul believed it, and so he took the scriptures and he used it so that he could convince them of who Jesus Christ was. And that's the first part. It's about the word. The second part of that verse is about, it's about the Savior. Look at verse 3. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. 
the Savior. If the Word of God is the source of our message, then the Savior is the content of our message. So keep your fingers in Acts chapter 17 and, and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, here Paul makes a defense of who Jesus Christ is again. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and then he rose on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Keep your finger there. Don't lose that passage because we're going to come back to it. But here's the first thing that Paul said in Acts 17. He said, it was necessary for Christ to suffer. It was necessary. It wasn't optional. There wasn't another way. There wasn't another way for this problem of sin to be solved. It was necessary for Christ to suffer. God's solution to the sin problem was Jesus Christ. The sin that started in the, in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve's failure, the sin that dominates our lives all of the time, and the reality is the solution to the sin problem is Jesus Christ. It was necessary for Christ to suffer. He was our substitution. He was the one who stood in my place. He is the one who paid the price I couldn't pay. He was the one who hung on the cross, the cross that I should have hung on. He was the substitution. We talk about substitutionary atonement. Christ in my place. That's what he did. The next thing we would understand about that is he is the word we use is the word propitiation. It means he was the one who settled or, or fulfilled or met the wrath of God. God's wrath is being poured out on people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. We're separated from God and we don't have any hope and we're going to hell. And Jesus Christ satisfied the wrath of God. It was necessary for Christ to suffer. He's the only acceptable gift. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one could boast. And so Paul is out there and he's preaching this, the word of God. He's taking them from the word of God and he's teaching that Christ had to suffer because he was the one who was the acceptable gift so you, you could have eternal life. And all you have to do is believe. You don't have to work for it. You don't go out and earn it. It was all done for you. It's a gift to you. And you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. Necessary for Christ to suffer. The verse goes on, and to rise from the dead. Without the resurrection, Jesus is just another good guy who did some good things, but he died. He died. But Jesus, Jesus didn't just die. He rose again. He rose from the dead. We find these verses in 1 Corinthians 15 as well. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, it says this. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And over in verses 17 to 20, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sin, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only... All we have is what we have now, he says. We are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And all the verses around where I just read are the verses of the proof of who saw him and how many they were. And because Christ is not dead, the, the payment on the cross on Good Friday 
was the payment for my sin. Jesus Christ was the only one who could offer that payment for me. His resurrection, we say this every year, it's the receipt we have in our hands that he was who he said he was. He did what he said he would do. It was necessary, Paul said, for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you'll be saved. That's what you have to just accept that work that Christ did for you. Many in the room have already done that, but some in the room haven't. You're still wondering. You're still trying to figure out how you can do it. You want to know how you can be on your plan and God's plan at the same time. And Jesus said, believe and you'll be saved. Transfer your trust for yourself and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone and you'll be saved. No magical work that you have to do except to believe. Except to believe. And then you'll be saved. The last part of the verse then says, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is Christ. Now we read that in the church and we go, fact, check, good point, Paul. This Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. You have to understand, those were fighting words. What he just said to the Jews, what he just said in the synagogue, what he just said to our world today, those are fighting words. Because he's saying Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the deliverer. Jesus Christ is the only way. If there's only one way to God and it's through Jesus Christ. All of that is, is built into what he's saying. They, they understood what he was saying. Now, those were fighting words. And they're still fighting words today. They're fighting words to all who reject Jesus Christ. I'm on my plan. I want what I want. I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. They're fighting words. They're fighting words to all, think, all those who think that they are enough. I've got it figured out. I'm going to be okay. I'll stand before God one day, and the balance of the scale is going to work in my favor. After all, I am such a good person, I'll be okay. And that this throws right into the face of that when he says, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the deliverer. You need him. Fighting words. Fighting words for those who think they are enough. Fighting words for those who are seeking another path, another religion, another way to spirituality. They're fighting words for those who have a different agenda, a political agenda or a moral agenda. You see, the reality is the name of Jesus Christ is an offense. You can use just about any other word in the world and you use the word Jesus and you just watch what happens. It's an offense. It's an offense in our world and it's becoming more and more of an offense in our world, but we shouldn't be surprised by that. In 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8, it says, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected, that was Jesus, has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. On mission, a clear message, and then the next thing is be ready. Be ready. The church in the world, be ready. And there's some neat things that happen in this text. There's some good things that happen, and we rejoice in that. Look in verse four, he says, and some of them, they've heard this message, they've, they've heard his reasoning with them, they've heard the work of Christ, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. They put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, some of the Jews, some of the Greeks, and a lot of the leading women. They put their faith and trust in Christ. So out of this work that he was doing, out of this message that he was pouring out, some people trusted Christ. 
And we rejoice in that. And that happens in our church. There are people who are sitting in this room. Somebody brought you here or you came to church or, or they presented the gospel to you and you put your faith in Jesus Christ and, and you're one of those kind of people. But the number of people who are in churches across North America today compared to the number of people who are not, right? That takes us kind of to the rest of the verses. Verse five says, but. See, and some of them trusted Christ. But, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and they attacked the house of Jason seeking to bring them to the crowd and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were dis disturbed and, and they, as they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security or bond or bail from Jason and the rest, they let them, they let them go. Some received the gospel, but most rejected it. But most rejected it. And we need to be ready. There'll be some people as we present the gospel to them, as we share the love of Christ with them, they will receive the gospel, but most will reject. The Bible says, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many people find it. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And few there be that find it. That's the challenge that we have. And so as Paul is being faithful, some people trusted Christ, but, but most refused they refused because they were blind and they couldn't see what was right before them, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the gift of God. They were deaf, they wouldn't or they couldn't hear it. They were dead, like it says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your sins, but he has made you alive. Now they were selfish, they, they wanted what they wanted. Paul is offering the gift of eternal life, but they have all of this stuff, they have everything they want and, and they don't want to give it up. Like the rich young ruler in Mark 10, 21 and 22. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Many reject because they're blind or deaf or dead or Selfish, the bottom line is that people reject Christ because of pride, because it brings us to the place of understanding that I bend the knee to Christ. I bow myself before the Lord who is the one who is saving me. And I bow to him. I bend the knee to him. And people are like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not bending to anybody. Yes, you are. You may not bend now, but you will bend one day. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue confess. You can choose to believe what I say or not believe what I say, but I'm here to tell you one day you're going to stand before Almighty God and you're going to be on your face bent before him. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. That's what the Bible says. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And don't let your pride, don't let your arrogance, don't let you, I think I'm something, keep you from the greatest gift that's ever been given to you. Many, many rejected, most rejected. 
two things I want you to know about that. First of all, don't be surprised by the attack. I've already read five to nine. You've already heard it and seen it. Let me give you some other verses that talk about this. It's inevitable. It needs to be expected. In John 17, 14, Jesus said in his prayer, his high priestly prayer, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world just as I am not of the world. In Matthew 5, 10 to 12, blessed are those who persecute who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before me. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ will be persecuted. 1 John 3.13 says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. 1 Peter 4.12-14 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of, of glory and of God rests upon you. Don't be surprised when you stand for Christ if people don't stand with you. You're bringing a message they don't want to hear. You're bringing a message that flies in the face of everything they want to trust in. And don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. But Christ also promised that God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Our hope is not in the now. Our hope is in what is to come. So I'd say count the cost. The church in the world today, we need to count the cost. The reality is most people will reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may not be on some people's Christmas card lists anymore. You may not get invited to some people's places. Um, we need to count the cost. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to understand what he's done for us and what he's accomplished for us. And so as you count the cost, understand that you will be misunderstood. You will present the gospel to someone as graciously and loving as you can, and they'll look you in the eye and they'll say, what do you think, you're better than me? You think you're better than me? You'll be misunderstood. Things you say are going to be misconstrued. Now look what happened in verse 7. Uh, Paul hadn't even talked about being a king or anything. It says, and Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. They, they really basically, you guys are terrorists. You guys are trying to take over. You're trying to overthrow the government. So what Paul talked about at all. Jesus, it was a half-truth. There is another king, Jesus. True, true, but that's not what they were going after. Jesus' kingdom is not there. Uh, here's, what, here's what Jesus said about all that. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is on this coin? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar the thing that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And when he heard it, they marveled and they left him and they went away. Matthew 22, 20 to 22. What you see will be, say will be misunderstood. Things will be misconstrued. You will be maligned at some level. What you're saying is unpopular. This flows, what we're talking about in this room today goes against everything in the world. It's not popular. It's counterculture. The culture wants what it wants. It's trying to define itself and find its own way. And, and I would say we need to be culturally relevant, but... 
We're counterculture. Everything we do will go against what the world says. You're going to be called things. You're going to be called a bigot. You're going to be told that you're intolerant and, and, and people who have different opinions, you're intolerant to them. And I'm going to come back and think about that in a minute. But those are some of the things that, that come upon us and we need to count the cost. There's going to be jealousy. There's, there's going to be accusations that are, are made against us. There are going to be expectations that are put on us that we are, we're going to say no to. I'm going to give a quote about Hillary Clinton today. But I want you to understand, I don't want this to be about politics. That, that whole thing going on down in the states between the Democrats and the Republicans, no matter who you vote for in the states, you plug your nose and vote. We kind of do that in this country too, okay? But this is just an illustration of what the world is going to put on the church. Hillary Clinton said at the 6th Annual Women in the World Summit in New York City on April the 25th, 2015, you can look it up and read this quote. She said, Yes, we've cut the maternal mortality rate in half, but far too many women are still denied critical access to reproductive health care and safe childbirth. That's, that's code for a whole bunch of other stuff. Eh? You understand that. And laws don't count for much if they're not enforced. It's kind of interesting thinking about her, but rights have to exist in practice, not just on paper. Laws have to be backed up with resources and political will. That part sounds pretty good. Listen to this next sentence. And deep-seated cultural codes, religious beliefs, and structural biases have to change. Do you hear what she said? Let me take two things out of the list and just read what she said. Deep-seated religious beliefs have to change. Church, never. Never do we sacrifice what we believe. Never do we sacrifice what God's word says. God's word will remain. It is faithful. We're going to see that it's trustworthy. We're going to see that it's about Jesus Christ. We're going to see that it meets every need that we have. And we do not sacrifice the message of God's word no matter what. It doesn't matter what the issues are. Some pictures are going to come up on the screen. It doesn't matter if it's abortion doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's about the LGBTQ community and what they want. It's not what would matter about gay marriage. It's an issue that's going to call us to compromise on other religions and norms in society. And we need to count the cost. We need to count the cost. And God's word is God's word, and we believe God's word, and we're not, we're not to mess with that. We're not to compromise on that. Uh, we need to be ready. Now, let me just say, I think the church in a lot of ways has some of these groups I've even just mentioned. Um, you know what they need? They need us to love them. That's what they need. See, here's what we learn to do. We've learned to hate them. And, and so whether it's the person who had an abortion or who is espousing that or a different lifestyle or gay marriage. And, and so what have we done well as the church? We've done well communicating. We hate them. And that's not what we're supposed to do. You know the old saying? The old saying goes like this. It says, um, love the sinner and hate. Okay, I'll try that again. Love the sinner and hate. Right, but here's what we've done well. We've, we've learned to hate the sinner. And we need to love the sinner. We need to love them like Christ loved them. 
They're just like we were without Jesus Christ. When I preached in Romans chapter 1 and 2, I said, we need to do this. We need to, we need to love the sinner and hate our own sin. Hate our own sin. For God so loved the messed up, stinking, dirty world that had no hope, that was filled with all kinds of sin, and that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. In our world filled with messed up, sinful, dirty people, we're the people who are to love them the most. And that needs to be the characteristic that blows people away, that in the midst of our commitment and our conviction and our love of God's word, we love people. Don't ever forget to love them. That's what I once was. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But I gotta love. I need to love. I won't compromise, but I've gotta love. One more thought. The church in the world makes a difference. Look at verse six. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now, I'm gonna tell you, I've been guilty of using that verse as kind of a rally cry for what we're supposed to go for as followers of Jesus Christ. It's like, hey, hey, we wanna be known as the people who turned the world upside down. They that have turned the world upside down have come here also. Harvest Bible Chapel has come to Markham's turning the world upside down, right? Okay, that's, that's, that's not wrong, but it's out of context. It's not the context of how it was being written, okay? Understand what's being said here. This was an indictment of the church to the world. They're looking at these guys coming, and they're causing rough problems all over the place. There's a whole bunch of, of discouragement and frustration, and, and, and it wasn't a positive statement. It was a negative statement. These people are turning the world upside down are here. We've got to get rid of them. And that's the world we live in today. We're a voice that's sought to be marginalized and pushed out to the edges. And there's a sense that we've got to get rid of this voice, the church. It's, it's messing things up. It, it calls white, white, and black, black. And, and it, it's, it's troubling for us. They turn the world upside down. We don't like it. But that's what we're called to. We're called to be people who make a difference. We're called to be people who take the word of God and stand on it because it is the word of God. We're called to be people who trust the Lord and watch how he works and watch what he does. Hey, I, I, don't, I didn't bring you to church today so you all go home going, oh no, oh no, oh no. My grace is sufficient for you, God says. God will be with us. He's never gonna leave us. He's not gonna forsake us. He's gonna give us whatever we need. But we need to understand we're not called to melt into the culture. We're called to be counter to the culture and to stand on the word of God and what it stands for and love in child inside the church and love people outside of the church so that some will come to know the Savior, Jesus Christ. Would anyone say of you, that guy's turning his world upside down. And it's not necessarily a nice sentence. When he comes, he, not obnoxious, not a pain in the neck, but Jesus Christ is your life. He's the source of who you are, and you want people to know that. And that guy, or that girl, they're turning their world upside down. 
the church, in the world. It's messy work. It's going to be messy work. Well, so what? So what? You know, you might ask the question, can't we just fit in? Can't we just fit in? Wouldn't it? Just, Paul, just quit being so dogmatic about the Bible. Can't we just fit in? Well, to a certain extent, yes. I, I live in my neighborhood. I think most of my neighbors find us, mostly Sue, but to be nice people. We, we try to fit in. So to a certain extent, yes. Can't we just fit in? To an extent. Now, can't we all just get along? Can't we all just get along? After all, Pastor Paul says, Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Well, yeah, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Can't we just get along? As much as you can, you need to try and get along. But can't we just do our thing quietly without consequence? Or can't we just kind of melt into the society? Hey, if the gospel of Jesus Christ hasn't changed you, it hasn't saved you. You cannot do this last thing. You cannot just melt in and quietly with no consequence live as a follower of Jesus Christ. You know that Acts Church thing? You, know, you want to be an Acts Church? You want to be an Acts Church? Acts chapter 5, 27 to 33. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered him, we must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard these, this, they were enraged and, and they wanted to kill him. It was Abraham who said about him in Hebrews 11:10, for he was looking forward to the city that has a foundation whose designer and builder is God. We're not living for this world. Our citizenship is not in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where Jesus, the King of kings, will rule. And then we need to live in this world. We need to live at peace with all as much as we can. But the reality is we have a message to give that the world will hate. They are enemies of God. By faith, with God's help, let us live like our citizenship is in heaven. It'll be messy, but it will bring God the glory that he alone deserves. Let's pray. Father, uh, this is your word, and we thank you for it, the challenge from it. Lord, as we... Um, Think about this thing, the church you've called to. It's really about our relationship with Christ. And we see how Paul was willing to count the cost and how you watched over him, you protected him, you cared for him, and you'll do that for us. My goal today is not to cause fear in our lives, but to bring people to understand who we are in Christ and then to trust you and walk accordingly that, God, you would get the glory in what we do and what we say. Father, we live in a hostile world. It doesn't want the message that we have. 
And people are going to fight against it and they're going to resist it. But some, some will receive, some will believe. And we're called to these people to, to um, build them up in their faith, grow them up in Christ just as others did for us. So Lord, we don't look forward with fear and trepidation, but with great hope because we look forward to the day when we will be with you. Guide us as we serve you in this thing called the messy church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.